Hey folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I am joined by Mr... I mean, you should know by now. Oh, it's almost four years. I forgot his name again. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Christopher Cusack, has, whose voice you just heard there. Um, David is no longer with us. No, <laughs> yes, he's still with us. He's just no longer on the show at the moment. Um, he's currently exploring the Arctic. Uh, so we've got some more guests on and they are. Do you want to introduce yourself? I am Barbara Mendes George. I am Frank James. And where are you from? I, I don't mean podcast wise. Wait a minute. Why, 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 why are we? Why are we using Sunday names? Is this a very <laughs> formal occasion? I was say Fran, but apparently that's a full name. For, um. Yeah, everything's very cagey. And tentative. I think, I think uh, we're not really sure how this is going to go because there may be some concern over certain people's reactions to the band that's been chosen. So it's all a little bit. Yeah, um, as I knew you guys as Fran and Babs. Well, yeah, I mean, we are Fran and Babs, and we are the co-hosts of the Over Underrated Music Podcast, uh, as well as being Fran from, wh- what do you say, Fran, Southampton? What, never. Bournemouth? I would never say Southampton. No? Because oh, oh, <laughs> the rivals were Bournemouth around. Oh, sorry, <laughs> still not knowledgeable enough about the Dorset, area. Bournemouth, England. There you okay. go. Okay. I'm a bit more complicated, because I am originally from Portugal, but I grew up in England, but I am currently speaking to you from Brussels, Belgium. One hour later. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Apologies. Mark's uh, Mark's internet's so bad he's probably just about the same time as you. So. <laughs> Join us, Mark. But yeah, so the over underrated podcast uh, is also a podcast where sometimes there are contentious opinions. So basically, Fran, me, or a guest, we think of a topic like a place or a genre, and then we pick a band that one of us or society thinks is overrated, and another one which is underrated. And yeah, then we make some playlists kind of arguing our point to see, you know, is this artist brilliant or tra- terrible and try and convince each other that we're correct. And we are constantly trying to push our opinions on each other with some success, but not always. Mm. Yeah, I noticed with interest some of, some of your uh, recent stuff. Um, you had Ryan Schaff, who we've also d- mm-hmm. done a show with, and Ryan had picked L7 as being underrated and Pearl Jam as being overrated. Absolutely. Uh, um, but that's the, the, the gist of, of your show. I, I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners will really dig it as well. Oh Well, well thank you. I hope so. But the, the good thing about Ryan is, so he actually came on to defend Pearl Jam. So th- this is also something you can do. If you really like an artist, even though they're very famous like Pearl Jam, you can come on mm. and defend them. So Fran and I were not such big Pearl Jam fans, and I think he chipped away a little bit at our mm. uh, opinions there. Um, so you are today's Ryan Scherf then? I will do my best. <laughs> I mean, Ryan, I, I've also guested on Ryan's podcast. We had a deep academic chat about Dry by PJ Harvey, so I can I can only hope to be as, as good as Ryan. Oh, we've had one of those as well. That's oh. good. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I don't envy him trying to defend Pearl Jam, but then again, I don't envy you guys trying to defend who you've chosen for today's show, oh. and that would be. We're doing Muse, and the album is Origin of Symmetry. I'm having a very muted reaction to that, Mark. Do you want to- <laughs> I, I don't know when to react. <laughs> um, no, uh, so we've we've got a history of covering bigger acts. But I mean, it's part of the remit, I guess, because as much as Unsung was about trying to elevate some fairly unknown, sometimes very unknown act, it is also, yeah, 
about fishing through the catalogue, the back catalogue of artists. We've done Weezer, for example. Mark picked a hellish album by them. Did you? That's totally wrong. You know that's incorrect. so yeah, this this is this is terrain we've covered before, and I think most people's reactions to Origin of Symmetry is pretty positive. I know that one of our co-hosts, Vicky, got in touch as soon as she found out we were doing it, and she was like, "I mean, that's a fucking great album. That's a great album." And she's and she's like, "The weird thing is, I haven't thought about that in fifteen years, but the first thought I have is very positive." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I my relationship with Muse uh, is yeah, let's say patchy because I was absolutely obsessed with them as a teenager. So I actually saw them live at a free concert in Luxembourg where I grew up free as well as sneaker pimps and dandy warhols were also on the bill, but we missed them completely. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, I've seen them live quite a few times and they are, they are really good. Um, and I think it was 2002. So it was a year after origin of symmetry had been released. So we bought that, we bought showbiz and then kind of hullabaloo came out. And then I was like fully fledged muse fan. And, you know, a few people around me were, like one of my best friends from school, she was so into Muse that she was a moderator on their website in the early 2000s. But uh, then, she, yes. She isn't the person behind the Muse wiki, is she? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it was, it was like in the forum age, you know, when it, there was like a little chat room within the Muse website and yes, lots of yes. enthusiastic people. Um, my, one of my friends met his wife uh, when he was on the whole forum, oh. I believe. Um, there we go. But, yeah, I mean, I think Muse must be the first band that we've covered that have their own wiki, right, Mark? Uh, we haven't joined Jimmy World yet, so yeah, <laughs> they would be the first band with their own <laughs> Really? Jimmy World? I did not know Yeah, that. I mean, their fans are... That. Yeah, I mean, they're not obviously not as big as Muse, but... Oh, they, no, we've done Metallica. We oh, did St. Anger. Yeah, we did St. Anger. There is a band, you're also forgetting, that um, Manson also have their own wiki. <laughs> Manson, Manson have a wiki? They're, they're Manson fans are ridiculously hardcore. Believe me, I used to be one of them. <laughs> Wow. I mean, that's got to fit on a very small <laughs> drive, surely. <laughs> I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I mean, I can only think of one Manson tune. Well, you're going to well. have to look out in season three because uh, they're going to be one of the bands we're discussing. Uh, oh, Fran, Fran and another hardcore fan, and I I kind of just sat there and let it wash over me. Um, they're one of those uh, 90s bands who had like a number one, number one album, and now people only know one song. It's a weird thing. Like Dark Star. <laughs> I, I, I raised him high for his arc, so. uh, I don't know about that um, Okay, well, we actually We were meant to do this a couple of days ago as well So just a full disclosure And I unfortunately had a terrible migraine So everybody has agreed to postpone uh, Hence why we're doing it now um, Unfortunately, I'm pretty sure That it was a week of listening to music Gave me that terrible migraine <laughs> um, So <laughs> whilst I'm Apologising, I do sort of blame you But yeah, I mean we're talking about a band that are just so absolutely fucking enormous. They have their own wiki. They're ubiquitous in TV advertising. You get your work cut out, I think, to to make this one stick. But as always, I think we'll, we'll probably do a little bit of due diligence in this uh, to, to get us rolling. So, Muse. 1994 formed in Devon, just along the coast for you then, Fran. I always associated Muse with Wales for some really? reason. I know yeah. that um, there were... Banned by the mail of uh, Tynemouth for a little bit because uh, uh, Matt described it as being the drug capital of Devon. <laughs> Before they then became massive, and then and told me, "Oh, come back! We love you, Muse. We love you." <laughs> um, well, yeah, Matt Bellamy, uh, Chris Walstenham, and Dominic Howard. Uh, one of those bands as well. One of the rare bands that we cover where it's been the original lineup all the way through. 
which you kind of love to see, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a nice thing. It absolutely, and so rare. And because we recorded a Radiohead episode recently, we 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 made that point as well. Radiohead and mm-hmm. you two, I think, uh, you know, two of the bands that you think of as well in that category. Um, Dominic uh, was originally in a band called Fucking Hell, what a name, Carnage Mayhem. Um, which I believe that Matt Bellamy joined, auditioned for vocals. Then Chris joined. Chris was originally a drummer, switched to bass, uh, and then they went through a few names, including the fantastic Gothic Plague and Rocket Baby Dolls. I'm guessing that Gothic Plague was, yeah, I mean, Carnage Mayhem, Gothic Plague sounds like some kind of weird cure black metal thing. Let's say like emo before emo. Uh, is what it sounds like. <laughs> Emo, but with makeup on, that kind of like AFI thing. Um, the Rocket Baby Dolls just makes me think of like Rachel Stamp or maybe the Manic Street <laughs> Preachers early on, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that really caught me, like doing the basics in this, the, the wiki says, 1994 Rocket Baby Dolls won a local battle of the bands, smashing their equipment in the process. Bellamy said it was a real shock, a massive shock. After that, we started taking ourselves seriously. The band quit their jobs, changed their name to Muse, and moved away from Teenmouth. Who the fuck decides <laughs> to go pro after winning a battle of the bands in Devon? How good were the bands about playing against in Teenmouth? To be fair, <laughs> that is incredibly hubristic. Wow, yeah, guys, we are literally the best band in Teenmouth. <laughs> But I mean, that is Matt Bellamy all over, you know. I, I remember him saying, like, you know, a lot of people play the tortured rock star act, but, you know, I played sport. I had girlfriends when I was at school, and it's like, all right, Matt, okay. Like, no one was asking you, but sure, <laughs> if you want to make that point. He is the son of a, a guitar player, isn't he? Like, his dad was in the Tornadoes, who yeah. did Telstar, which was the yeah. number one hit. So he, yeah, yeah, maybe he's got a little bit of an ego from his father, maybe. Matt Bellamy, what? an ego, never. <laughs> <laughs> what sport did Matt Bellamy do? Was he a fucking jockey <laughs> or a cox or something? He's like, guys, five foot six. I will, I will hear nothing against short kings. Excuse me. I think me. he did um, sensible soccer. Was probably his main sport. <laughs> Um, I mean, I remember hearing about Muse very early on, touring about with bleach blonde hair, doing multiple Nirvana covers a night. I think they were actually pretty well known. In fact, I've definitely seen Matt Bellamy comment on this for doing a cover of Territorial Pissings. Because quite early on, they were a band that became notorious for smashing their kit up and causing a bit of a, a fuss. And my actual personal first almost brush with Muse was... And please don't hold this against me. I bought a ticket to go and see Feeder and Everclear at the venue in Edinburgh, and uh, the opening act that night was going to be Muse. Fucking Everclear, Jesus! I've not heard that name for a long, long time. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Perhaps, <laughs> Perhaps remember Everclear? Was that before your time? Uh, no, I was thinking. I don't think I've ever heard of Everclear. Ah, uh, you um, have. A am I missing fun, out? Fun little trip ahead. Of you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll go there another day. Um, but. To, to give it some context, to give it some more context, like Muse, I mean, we said it started in 94, but they were really kind of getting well known. <laughs> Showbiz was 99, but they started to get a bit more notoriety around 2000, 2001, which is about the same time as bands like My Vitriol, Vex Red, Cooper Temple Claws. Is I 
In the early years, he toured with Skunk and Nancy, Feeder, Everclear, uh, Foo Fighters twice, I believe, quite early on. Uh, they supported live, I think, in one of their first big kind of arena tours, or I don't know if it quite qualifies as arena. And I think first impressions probably count here as well. So, I mean, Muse, as I said, Vicky, she felt this is a good choice of an album in terms of the album on its own merits. Um, Muse have some good riffs. They have the odd amazing hook. Um, I think actually for me that's basically the frustrating fact around them. You know, that they managed to do that despite all the pomp and the, the sometimes quite grating falsettos and the, the grandstanding. That they do have a quite a quite a tangible rock soul that some of the other bands they got compared with didn't. They're certainly a lot heavier than the likes of Radiohead, which was the most common comparison thrown at them. Um, I think early on, I loved, and I still do actually admire them for that original member thing and the power trio. They sort of, they fitted in a category with Placebo for me at that time, which was, you know, quite a modest lineup, but a big, big noise from really talented players, people that knew how to work as a trio really well and take up as much sonic space as possible. Um, you know, they are a really impressive uh, group of musicians. Uh, they're also, as I said, wildly successful. Um, tw- was it over 20 million global sales, I think, so far? Supermassive Black Hole's the biggest UK hit at number four. They've had five number one albums, um, and this one got to, to number three. So I guess without relying too much on notes, what are just your gut feelings about Muse, Mark? Well, I really got into Muse because the first ever time I started playing music with people, one of the guys was really into showbiz. And I fell in love with the Soul Mustard Museum. And then Origin of Symmetry came out. I remember buying that record when it came out, actually, and I was really impressed by it. Bearing in mind, I was like, what, what would it have been? I would have been 16 at the time when it came out. Um, so I was like, fuck, these guys are going to be great, right? And then a lot can happen in three years, especially when you're 16, right? <laughs> you grow up really quickly. <laughs> and when Absolution came out, I tried to love it. It's got a few good singles on it. We'll talk about the albums in a wee second. never really grabbed me and then they kind of just fell off a cliff for me really but I'm really glad this band exists if I'm honest like I, I'm glad a band like this is still kicking about I'd rather listen to this band any day of the week over Snow Patrol there's a lot of things to hate about them and I, I do hate a lot of things about them but um, these the bands like this are so so rare now and the fact they're still huge like massive I think is is an anomaly in today's in this, in, in this day and age so not a huge fan of them, but I'm glad they exist. Like, so glad they exist. Because uh, they, they can do whatever the fuck they want, and people will buy it, and they'll, they'll play massive shows, you know. And I think that's kind of heartening. So, well, we're obviously going to do a, a detailed uh, dissection of, of the record itself later on. But Fran and Babs, you know, because I, I know you both debated what you were going to bring to the table for this show. What was it that sold you in this, and why is it this era of the band? Where were you guys personally when this came into your life? Personally, I was not a fan of Showbiz, and I found Radiohead really fucking annoying. Um, I, I thought they were just, you know, a Radiohead rip-off, and I dismissed them completely until I heard Plug and Baby, 
and that was literally a reset button. And as soon as I heard that riff, it was, oh, this is the new muse. And I, every then I heard newborn, and I became okay. I like this. This is this is for me. That showbiz was maybe their teenage angst band, and now they've become you know a mature um, rock and roll band. And then I think I bought the album and I, I saw them at Reading two thousand and two, which is like one of their pinnacle gigs. And then I loved Hallelujah, and I loved that era. And that's when I fell into um, in enough of that this period of uh, Muse. Um, Babs, how about you? Yeah, so as mentioned, yeah, two thousand and two was when I when I got into them, and yeah, I, I don't I don't really know the order that I heard it heard them in. I don't know if we got Showbiz first, then Origin of Symmetry or not. But yeah, we saw them alive, and we're like, well, this band, this random English band, is bloody amazing. Um, and then and then yeah, I bought Showbiz, Origin of Symmetry, Hullabaloo. I came out, and, and I think Hullabaloo is it's quite audacious for your third album to be a collection of B sides, varieties, and, and a live album. But I think it makes sense given how popular they were and how good a live band they are. Absolution for me, it was like an album that you're waiting, that I was waiting for by that point, because yeah, it came out in, uh, was it 2003? So I felt about Absolution like, okay, this is taking a different direction, but I still like it. Then Black Holes and Revelations, I was like, okay, I like half of this album. Uh, But not the rest of it. And then basically, after Harp, I have not listened to a single song of theirs that I like. <laughs> so it's, I think it's the band I have the most conflicting relationship with because Muse and Radiohead were my two favourite bands as a, teen, as a teenager. So yeah, in 2002, I was... Uh, how, how old was I? Oh my God, I can't tell. I was 14, 15. So prime teenage snob m- music years. And Radiohead, similarly, uh, later Radiohead, I'm not such a big fan of, but there's still stuff in later Radiohead that I can appreciate. Every single time I try to go to Later Muse, I'm like, why? What have you done? What is this shit stadium rock? Um, (laughs) So it was really interesting to kind of actually go back and and listen to it and kind of remind myself why I fell in love with them in the first place. And is Origin of Symmetry my favourite album? I think so. I I think it is my favourite album and one of my favourite albums of all time. I would say that I think Absolution is a better album. But because, because that is the number one, and we're doing more like unsung. And the reason that also this album wasn't released in America, the American label refused to release it. So the fact that if we're doing like the world podcast for audience in the UK, people know, but no one in America ever heard. And to this day, it's not officially being released in America. So therefore, I think Absolution has made their, their first massive album. And this is like the album just before they became gigantic muse. Mm. It's strange because, I mean, they were touring America before their first album. I mean, Muse very, very early on played uh, across the pond. In fact, I think Muse had played France multiple times in America at least once, maybe twice before they ever came to Scotland. 
that that's literally like how far and wide they were traveling at that time so they were trying to establish themselves certainly as you say it doesn't seem like it took in the early days um you know there was also some mark said when he when he first sort of mentioned what you'd chosen to me he immediately drew an analogy with queen and i was really kind of perplexed i was like queen i was like no radiohead surely that everyone compares muse to and babs as you're saying i had tuned right out of this band for the last i mean debatably four albums but certainly three albums only in the course of this have i realized why mark said queen and mark hats off to you you're you're right but i mean we'll we'll, we'll get to that in, in due course but that really kind of caught me off guard because that was not a part of their evolution that i'd really been aware of and the impression i was left with and okay maybe it's not coming from a particularly charitable place but was that they're a band that sat one day and said, what are we going to do next? Well, the only direction really open to us is to try and write big, memorable, you know, enduring hits a la Queen from sort of almost like Greatest Hits 3 kind of era, you know, where there were electronics and everything was really overblown. And so it's it's, kind of... That they're a strange act that they've become something that I've I've had to digest very quickly and uh yeah as well as giving me a headache they've given me a bit of indigestion. <laughs> but I, think I, I think Matt Bannamy said that Queen are the best rock band of all time. Um, I don't disagree with him in that yeah, way. Yeah, shock. I, I do, <laughs> uh, but that's that's for another time. Um, but what was what was interesting re-listening to Origin of Symmetry with kind of analysis in mind was the blend of classical and rock. And I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what Queen do uh, as well. It's it's quiet, it's loud, it's fucking heavy guitars and synthy strings. It's it's kind of everything in the kitchen sink. And I, I was thinking, listening to this album, I'm like, I think this album is fantastic, but it surprises me that so many other people do because mm-hmm. it shouldn't be as accessible as it is. But can Matt- I just say that's exactly how I felt a few weeks ago when we talked about AM by Arctic Monkeys. Yeah. I was like, I don't understand why this album's so big. Like, uh, How is this a hit single? Like it's so slow and gringy and anyway, so I'm I'm with you on that. It is surprising and sometimes it's encouraging because oh. sometimes you think, okay, not everybody's underestimating the intelligence of the audience and the audience are sort of rewarding them in a way that you maybe wouldn't have anticipated. I think um Origin Symmetry, I think Matt said that he was using Ready to get to machine and Rachmaninoff and making an album, <laughs> and it, you can see it completely. Like, and doing some research, I didn't know how much he was ripping off Rachmaninoff oh, yeah. and Bark. Yeah. It's literally just, just oh. I'll take that and literally put it into my album. <laughs> And then later on, yeah, they became a studio band and it's all the Queen backing vocals and, and pomp and, you know, yeah. And once they lost their amazing riffs and stuff, I moved on from Muse. It wasn't for me anymore. They they were getting some massive props for their, their riffs at this at this kind of era, weren't they? I mean, I think the, the, the riff from Plug In Baby, certainly, but also Newborn, I think they picked up various awards at various sort of guitar magazines and things like that at the time. I mean, they, they were... They were really interesting. He was obviously inspired. I mean, he talks about Hendrix and Tom Morello. Um, but also, I think their choice of tone, because this is the album where Muse became a Kerrang band and not an NME band. Yeah. Uh, they they, they kind of clearly sort of kicked off the side of the pool with the riff in Newborn. 
you know, it, it, it was it was a very deliberate attempt to sort of like demarcate themselves and distance themselves from some of the kind of glib Radiohead comparisons that were still kind of lingering about. And I do agree with you about showbiz. It feels almost a wee bit of a lack of identity. We'll talk about it, but a wee bit of a lack of identity, a wee bit of pressure from the whoever at Mushroom, I think it was, that put it out, who who said, you know, oh, you know, do this and you'll probably sell a lot of records on the back of this other band's success. But they seem to kind of make a stab at a little bit of their own identity in this one. So it is an interesting choice. Um, I just want to quickly say that I disagree with you on showbiz and I'm glad because I have a literal quote that talks about how the DNA of Origin of Symmetry comes from <laughs> comes from showbiz. So look forward to it. Okay. <laughs> Fran's shaking well. his head already, but yeah. <laughs> Um, there's a couple of really interesting bits of insight I think that we should give into like the uh, again the hubris and the the pomposity of Muse, which I think is a big part of their brand. Uh, sometimes it feels like it's built in, other times it feels like it's a little bit uh, inadvertent. Um, they are, uh, as far as I'm aware, the only band that have successfully sued both Nestle and Celine Dion. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about Celine Dion. Yes. For why? Why? Two of the world's great evils. Um, Nestle, I believe, used one of their songs in a campaign without their permission. And Celine Dion attempted to call a, a tour or a series of concerts Muse, I think. And they, they shut that shit down. I think the, the, the paycheck was about 50 odd thousand they sued her for or something like that. Um, Matt Bellamy uh, called his son Bing. Yeah, I, uh, I did read about why, though. Did you did you see this? No, I assumed it was some sort of anti-Google sky. No, <laughs> no, it's because I think Bingham, uh, Goldie Horn's maiden name or something like that. Hang on. I, I did look this up, but I didn't. Um, uh, Bingham, I mean, Bingham Bellamy, that is that is quite a name. But yeah, I, I also thought, like, what's, what's he talking about? Yeah. I mean, it's better than, like, a vast or something, isn't it, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine him naming a son after yeah, um, I think I know why that was I, I, You might have just said it, I'm sorry It was a wee bit crackly, but it's because Kay Hudson is Goldie Hawn's daughter Is that not why? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. That 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 is an oft neglected fact Is that Matt Bellamy uh, Hooked up with Kate Hudson for quite a, t- quite a time A testament I think To the ridiculous power of being a rock star um, I, so- I don't like this Anti-Matt Bellamy uh, propaganda <laughs> Going around here I, I, I See my first memory of Matt Bellamy was him in the Bliss video with the red hair falling. And I was like, who is this mysterious man? And uh, he's definitely not, let's say, like conventionally attractive, but there's there's a sparkle in his eye and there's a cheek and there's, I think, a, a confidence <laughs> and a charisma, which I think is, yeah, it's quite attractive. I, did you enjoy I, his spiky hairstyle back oh, in that day? Oh, I absolutely did, did. I absolutely enjoyed going through the photos of him with blonde hair, with blue hair, with red hair in this uh, in this period. <laughs> so I think guys. that it, it's... A lovely thought that a guy from Tynemouth can be dating Hollywood royalty. <laughs> his to, his to new me, wife is also a model, beautiful... by the way. Uh, so you know he he keeps it up. I, I think I think he looks like a Lego man that someone tried to scratch the face off. So harsh, so harsh. <laughs> um, and well, here's the thing, right? In 2010, Matt Bellamy actually won Hottest Male Award at the Shockwaves NME Awards, beating out get this. Alex Turner of Arctic Monkeys, yeah. Liam Gallagher, yeah. and whew, Be Still My Beating Heart, 
Green Day's Billy Joe Armstrong. Okay, I'd go for Billy Joe over Matt. Hey, come fair, on, like, but, yeah. I've got to say that I think both Dominic and Chris are better looking men than Matt Bellamy. <laughs> Dominic, yes. Dominic, Chris, yeah. he's a bit, I mean, I think Chris has something like five children and he, seven, he, seven children. Fucking hell, seriously. He's, okay. prob- he's probably had two since you last looked <laughs> yeah, up. I was going to say that's what else I heard about it. And yeah, there's some very funny stories about him not telling the parents at school who he was and then finding out kind of completely separately. But I, I feel like he has got a bit of a dad vibe about him, whereas Dom Dom is a bit of a cheeky monkey. Uh, Do the other two still live in the UK? Is it only him he's moved to LA? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I'm, I'm my stalking days are. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing that's worthy of note: uh, enemy named Matt Bellamy, the 14th greatest rock and roll hero of all time, ahead of uh, the little-known John Lennon and Bob Dylan. I <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> What? Was, that, was that the enemy? Yep. Yeah, well, you, you can that see this. incredibly relevant <laughs> zeitgeisty. I'm sure Miles Kane was number four or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 2008, I'm sure we all know this, Muse were awarded an honorary doctorate from the University of Plymouth for their contributions to music. Why, why not? <laughs> each and every member rendered a doctor for writing Plug In Baby. Um, and... I mean, frankly, I think all of that goes to show that Muse are kind of fucking chancers. Um, (laughs) But we could be about to go off a little bit of a cliff here um, because I want to go back to one of Mark's points. And it is that, you know, you used the example of you'd rather listen to Muse than Snow Patrol. I get that. I agree to some extent. Um, I certainly, musically... I mean, especially with this album um, and bits and bobs of Absolution and, and bits and bobs of showbiz as well. Musically, they were a really interesting band and they were taking chances and they had some ideas that were a wee bit, you know, a, a bit too much. But they had other ideas that were really innovative. And I think, as I said, tonally, I think they took a, they took some big risks. I mean, as much as they talk about sounding like Tom Morello, there's, there's moments in Muse albums where it sounds like they're trying to sound like gent music. You know, they really go for some heavy, crunchy, sort of like strange metallic guitar tones. And it's it's pretty interesting. Um, but there's an aspect to Muse that sticks in my throat so, so badly. Right, and and, and I'm, I'm I'm sorry, Babs. It does somewhat relate to Matt Bellamy, <laughs> and I I can't get past it. And it's gonna it's it's gonna form a, a significant part of this podcast now. So, <sighs> <laughs> Muse have some really fucking horrendous patter. Okay, they have oh, some really that I can agree with. Really horrendous <laughs> patter, right? I mean, Muse to me are the musical equivalent of the film The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, they're they're. Paranoid cyberpunk bollocks with the Audrey Gates machine riff. I think that yeah. Matt would uh, take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he would. <laughs> uh, but yeah, by the way, that's me not even mentioning like a Messiah Complex and Black <laughs> PVC. Um, but I think Muse, Muse have charges to answer in the same way as this is quite topical, I guess. Uh, I am curious to see how the new Matrix movie, which is coming soon at the time of recording, uh, I'm curious to see how this handles this because the Matrix, as we all know, is like a really big part of the lore around, you know, the red pill and the white rabbit and what actually bizarrely kind of metastasized into the alt right and a lot of the, the men's rights movement. Here it goes. Here it goes. Yeah, this is, sorry. <laughs> but this is, this, this is a really, like, Muse are a 
a very, very, very refined example of this, okay? Because Muse Court, a lot of the same sort of tokenistic conspiratorial shit that I think sort of defines the Matrix. Now, it makes the Matrix... I love the Matrix, the original film, at least it's really enjoyable, but there is a lot that has resulted from that. We were, you know, people dabbling with conspiracy stuff, even going back to X-Files, we were setting up a culture where there were these giant overarching conspiracy theories that, you know, that never really used to be the case. Conspiracy theories were kind of ghettoised and there was this one and there was that one and then you you got these giant meta-narratives that led to things like QAnon and playing their own tiny part in this is Muse. These these huge kind of overarching world government conspiracy theory things and I think it's really interesting to actually analyse how far the band have gone down that road. So, assuming this is a trial, I've got Four exhibits here, right? Exhibit A. It was an, actually this is taken from an interview in the Guardian. Um, Matt Bellamy discusses the uh, Fox News presenter Glenn Beck's embrace of their 2009 album uh, The Resistance uh, and the use of their hit single Uprising in a whole bunch of right wing conspiracy videos on YouTube. Matt said, uh, in the US, the conspiracy theory subculture has been hijacked by the right to try to take down people like Obama and put form right-wing libertarianism. Bellamy defines himself as a left-leaning libertarian, uh, more in the realms of Noam Chomsky in his own words, uh, but he added that uh, uprising was requested by so many politicians in America for use in their rallies uh, and we turned them down on a regular basis. What I'm curious about is that Matt Bellamy seems either A, to want congratulated for turning them down, or B, slightly surprised. Like, he's not aware of the fact that the things he says in his lyrics, the way his lyrical narratives progress, is so similar to so much uh, uh, of the narrative that emerges from the, especially the libertarian right in America. I think that's quite fascinating. I'm not entirely surprised by that, if I'm totally honest, because... um Although he says he's left-leaning, and I'm pretty sure he probably is, um, the politics and the songs are so hollow and vacuous that they're essentially quite apolitical, I think. You can apply them to anything. You can apply them to left or it's right. It's glib. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's very glib. Mm. It's, it's, it's almost childish at points. But that's assuming there are no consequences. And perhaps you could have forgiven that early on. Perhaps you could have forgiven that, you know, way back, <laughs> way back in very commas, in early 2000s. Except in recent history, these the, the consequences of these kind of me- this kind of messaging has been pretty firmly established. You know, especially since two thousand and sixteen onwards, two thousand and fifteen onwards. Um, I mean, I would say Exhibit B, something that's he's, he's quite notorious for. Uh, he was speaking to Colin Powell during the White House reception in twenty twelve, um, and Matt says, "I asked him about hollow point bullets. This is him talking to the NME because Homeland Security had purchased millions of them." They explode when they hit you. I think they're banned under the Geneva Convention. This was widely reported in the conspiracy press. <laughs> now that's a quote. Um, and the question was, why were they buying so many? And then Matt theorises, it looked like they were preparing for massive riots. And it's like, okay, a little bit of insight there. That he <laughs> I don't know if you've seen those photos, by the way. It's him, Kate Hudson, George Clooney and Colin Powell at a White House reception in 2012. <laughs> I'd like to eat um, in that conversation. That'd be quite good. Well, I mean, you've, he's, he's pretty upfront about it. Uh, I mean, certainly he's reading the conspiracy press. Um, exhibit C, according to a, a site called Complete Music Update, 
which sounds legit. Um, Matt uh, has said back in 2006, I think it was, there was a documentary, uh, or sorry, there was a document called Project for the New American Century. Well, actually, there definitely is a document called Project for the New American Century. It was made by a right-wing think tank in the United States, uh, which he claims clearly says, we need a new Pearl Harbor-level event so we can have an excuse to invade the Middle East. And this all ties in to him claiming that 9-11 was a hoax. Although he's gone back on that, apparently. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And then in yeah. 2012, he told the Metro, I think, I think it was an inter- interview with the Metro, I, I don't believe that anymore, although there are lots of questions to be answered regard- <laughs> regarding his 9-11 comments. He also said that he'd been trying to read from more credible sources. <laughs> <laughs> Have we found out if he's a flat earther yet? <laughs> uh, what's that guy, uh, Bob? B.O.B. Maybe he's doing a collaboration with him soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's he's an about I just imagine, yeah. I can just imagine Matt as very much an antisocial guy who sits in his white room and goes down a lot of YouTube uh, <laughs> wormholes. I, I, can, I can see him doing that. I, I, don't, I always knew that like backstage he never spoke to any other, other bands. He never really speaks really? to the audience. He's, he's, he's very much like an eccentric uh, loner so you can see why he, sometimes he's a bit misguided with his information but most of his lyrics i kind of thought was about bollocks and tech and stuff i never really took much notice oh, i know newborn is linked to the matrix apparently you have got a treat in store so i've got one more quote and then i've prepared this a little game all right <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't happen often in the show but i have prepared this a little game that i think you'll enjoy anyway exhibit d which is debatably my favorite is that matt bellamy thinks he's been abducted um, by aliens a helicopter <laughs> he or helicopters well he does concede it could have been a helicopter but um, he was talking to Radio X I may have been abducted I saw this flashing light that was in the woodland and it was really unusual at that time of night because it was like one in the morning I remember just waking up at home and to this day I don't quite remember the journey from their home <laughs> he went on to admit that he doesn't know if it was a UFO it might have been a helicopter or something although being abducted by helicopter is still worth mentioning um, <laughs> <laughs> and that his judgment may have been compromised at the time explaining I was driving so I definitely didn't drink anything I'm not suggesting that at all but I may have smoked something that was grown in Devon <laughs> Saying if they know what they grow in Devon um, I'm, uh, I'm, Carrots Carrots <laughs> Shouldn't be smoking that. Lemon Drink cider from a lemon So I'm thinking of the feeder song Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh god yeah you're right <laughs> I mean I'm not breaking any new ground by saying that Matt Bellamy's prone to like flights of eccentricity but what I think people underestimate is just quite how uh, red-pilled he is on some issues and I realise with the 9-11 thing he rolled that back but you know it's very likely as well that he rolled that back under pressure because that did not go down well. The thing that's always interesting about bands especially bands that that fucking pack in their jobs, whatever jobs they had when they are really, really young and decided to pursue stardom from a very young age is that they become suspended in adolescence, right? So, like, mm. his opinions haven't really had that much time to evolve because his world is, like Fran just said, he just lives in a little bubble, a little shiny white room. Yeah, it, Only he, he became a professional musician after winning one battle of the bands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> luck, luck, luck shone upon him. Um, but one thing that I think that I was thinking about is quite interesting is, like, he probably does have all the makings of, of an incel, but he's also probably one of the only and most well-known conspiracy theorists who's actually having sex with supermodels, which is pretty, <laughs> pretty incredible. <laughs> you think about a it? Chad and a conspiracy I, 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 I don't know. I think Gavin McInnes has probably done that too. I just don't know if the supermodels consented to it. Um, 
see this is the thing chris i can i basically totally agree with you on all of that i think matt bellamy is the kind of guy who has the luxury to play devil's advocate and explore conspiracy theories without thinking of the consequences and when you know when doing my how mental is matt bellamy research i did (laughs) i did find a quote where he says the differential between the bubble we live in which is ordinary life and the reality out there is almost as heavy as what is being depicted in a film like the matrix it could make you puke to make that step towards finding out what's really going on and it's like I I think, you know, having grown up with Muse as well, probably when I was a teenager, I could be like, whoa, man, so deep, like so deep what he's saying. But now, you know, we know about incels and we know about the men right, men's yeah. rights movement. And uh, and yeah, like uh, that, that's an amazing quote you just said, though, right? So yeah. it can make you puke to think about what's really going on. Really going on. Do you know who that sounds like? Alex Jones. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah. how about we play a little game? Right. And this little game is called... Muse or Alex Jones? Excellent. <laughs> All right. Excellent. <laughs> I've got uh, sixteen quotes. Sixteen. Here. Sixteen. <laughs> sixteen quotes, and believe me, I had to cut that right down. That was tough. <laughs> I did that grudgingly. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read out a quote, um, and we're all going to keep score and try and guess who it was by. Okay. So do you have like, a pen and paper? <laughs> Please tell me you've got. I a have a Google pen. Doc open. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and if you're listening to this, please. Take two seconds, pause this, get a bit of paper or some way to note this down and keep your own score. And then we want some comments and some messages given as your honest score. Really want to know the worst and the best results out of this. Okay, everybody good? Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Quote number one. To alter our course from tyranny to liberty, to to defeat the corrupt elite, we must get past the puppets and confront the real power structure of the planet. Was that Muse or was that Alex Jones? I'm going to say Muse. Muse. Babs? Alex Jones. Mark? Alex Jones. The answer was Alex Jones. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Quote two. You'll burn in hell. Yeah, you'll burn in hell for your sins. Was that Muse or Alex Jones? Fran? I'm thinking Alex. Babs? I think that's a Muse lyric. <laughs> Mark? I think that's Alex Jones. That was Muse. Oh. What? <laughs> what song? <laughs> uh, take a bow from uh, yeah. Black Holes and Revelations. In hell. Um, Sorry. So, quote three: Are you a human drone? Are you a killing machine? I'm in control, motherfucker. Do you understand? Your mind is just a program, and I'm the virus. I'm changing the station. I'll improve your thresholds. I'll turn you into a super drone, and you will kill my command, and I won't be responsible. Fran, is that Alex Jones or Muse? Well, Muse have a song called Drones, so I'm going to go for Muse. Babs? Muse for the same reason, yep. I can just see Alex Jones' big red neck like as he, as he yells that into a fucking tiny microphone, so I'm going to see Alex Jones. <laughs> see, Mark, I'm with you, but it's Muse. Oh, man. It's for a cycle from Drones. Uh, okay, quote four. War is overdue. The time has come for you to shoot your leaders down. Fran, mm. Alex Jones Alex, or Muse? Alex. Alex Jones, Babs. I'm going to say Alex Jones, but I'm not sure on that one. Mark? I'm going to say Muse. <laughs> it's Muse. Oh, it's... whoa. Shoot your leaders down. <laughs> War is overdue. The time has come for you to shoot your leaders down. It's from Assassin from Black Holes and Revelations. Oh, uh, quote five. If we start creating our own maps, our own world, our own vision, then there's no way for the cultural tyrants to program us. Is that Muse <laughs> or is that Alex Jones? Uh, well, it's been heavy Muse recently, so I'm going to go for Alex. I'm going to say Muse. Mark? No doubt Alex Jones. I've, I've no doubt that's Alex Jones. 
Alex Jones all the way. <laughs> yep. Cool. It, I mean, uh, the fact that this has proven difficult must surely give everybody <laughs> pause for thought already, right? <laughs> Quote six. But the public had so much freedom. They were so wealthy, even our poorest. They had no idea that they were replacing it with abject slavery. Muser, Alex Jones. Fran? Alex. I've got Muse again. Yes. That was Alex Jones. Oh. 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 Okay. Seven. The age of cowardice is coming to an end. The age of men will return. Fran? That has to be Muse. Yeah, I was going to say Muse as well. Mark? Oh, no. (laughs) I can't decide. I can again. The, the can, age of cowardice is coming to an end. The age of men will return. I can just see it ending with and the water turning the frogs gay and thinking it's Alex Jones. <laughs> so I'm going to say Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Quote eight. They'll try to push drugs that keep us all dumbed down and hope that we will never see the truth. Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Uh, Mark. Yes. It is Muse. Bloody hell. Yeah, this is hard. (laughs) (laughs) How are our scores so far? Uh, Can you just remind me, was number six, was it Muse or not? Number six was Alex Jones. I think I've got four out of eight. That's not bad. I've got three. Oh, and you're the Muse fan. Indeed. And you started so well. I did, yeah. Mark? I have five. Oh, shit. I think that's pure luck, to be honest. But uh, we'll we'll keep going. Uh, Okay, halfway. Wake to see your true emancipation as a fantasy. Policies have risen up and overcome the brave. Greatness dies, unsung and lost, invisible to history. Embedded spies brainwashing our children to be mean. You don't have long. I'm on to you. Fran? I mean, that's hard to fit into a song. That has to be Alex, surely. Babs? The I'm on to you makes me think it's Alex. Mark? The I'm on to you makes me think it's Muse. <laughs> <laughs> That was Muse. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> that is from In... the song Supremacy on the Second Law. Wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> to quote 10. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Parasites will be crushed. I can taste your weakness. Crushing, crushing, crushing. <laughs> uh, Alex. Uh, no, Muse. I'm Muse. going Muse as well. Mark. That's, that has to be Alex Jones. <laughs> it's Alex Jones. Yeah. Mark, you're fucking killing this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, uh, I'm actually a subscriber to InfoWars <laughs> You clearly are, yeah, yeah You must have been gutted about the Sandy Hook decision this week um, Okay, quote 11 If you are receiving this transmission, you are the resistance Is that Muse or Alex Jones? I mean, Muse have got a song called Resistance so I'm going to hope it's the obvious answer and say Muse Say Muse I, I, think, I think that's Alex Jones it's Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is eight in a row wrong for me. <laughs> Quote 12. That's destiny. That's will. That's striving. That's been a trailblazer and explore. Going into space, mathematics, quantum mechanics, the secrets of the universe, it's all there. Life is fiery with its beauty, its incredible detail. Tuning into it, they want to shutter your mind, unlock your human potential. Defeat the globalists who want to shutter your mind. Muse. I've said Alex Jones. Mark. Muse. Babs, you just broke your losing streak. That is Alex Jones. (laughs) I thought it was a bit too long maybe for a song. (laughs) 
but it, it it's so rhythmic as well, though. That was the thing. Okay, and... Uh, Wait, hang on. Was that Alice Jones or was that Muse? That was Alice oh. Jones. You were bang wrong. I was wrong. Uh, quote 13. Unlucky for some. There's no country left to love and cherish. It's gone. It's gone for good. It's you and me, babe, survivors, to hunt and gather memories of the great nation we were. Is that... Alex. Alex. The babe uh, is really throwing me, but I'm going to say Muse. I thought I'm pretty. I'm fairly sure that's Muse. Fran, sorry to say you're wrong. It is Muse. <sighs> babe. Does he say babe ever? Apparently. <laughs> By the way, he says babe a lot. Does as I found out this week, yeah. Wow, um, what oh. search engines were you using? <laughs> <laughs> Pornhub? Oh, that's an um, I okay, never, never so, uh, quote 14, almost there. That's a nasty taste coming up in my mouth. Tasting those globalists, I can taste their fear and their weakness. I taste metal, I taste blood. Muse. Alex Jones. Al- Alex Jones. Alex Jones. <gasps> Now that I know that he says globalists. I think I've hit your record, uh, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Two more. Quote 15. Murder Africa. Invasion forces. Release us. Alex. Please let that be Alex. Mark. Yes. It's Alex Jones. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Murder Africa. I mean, with an exclamation mark as well. Of course. And uh, the last quote. uh, I'm hungry for some unrest. I want to push this beyond a peaceful protest. I want to speak in a language that they'll understand. Uh, Muse. Uh, Muse, I think, yeah. Muse. Muse. Pretty sure it is. And everybody finishes on a win. Okay. That was Muse. uh, Hopefully, that was eye-opening. Fran, what was your score? Um, I got a six. I got eight. Half Half marks. Mark? Eleven. Twelve. Double figures. Fucking hell. That's uh, that's good. Also, just to to, to ro- roll that up, I prepared some bonus quotes here. Here's a belter from Alex. The reason there are so many gay people now is because it's a chemical warfare operation. I have the government documents where they said they're going to encourage homosexuality with chemicals so people don't have children. Sure, <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> it's the uh, the fluoride, isn't it, in the water? Yeah. And uh, another one, when I think about all the children Hillary Clinton has personally murdered and chopped up and raped, I have zero fear standing up against her. Yeah, you heard me right. Hillary Clinton has personally murdered children. I just can't hold back the truth anymore. Hillary Clinton is one of the most vicious serial killers the planet's ever seen. Fuck me, man. The First Amendment's got a lot to answer for, right? It's just, like, I I almost, to be honest, can't find it funny. Like, when when you hear about the Pizzagate scandal and just... Oh, it's it's not. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm, I'm seeing this very heavily layered with how much I fucking detest that. And it's, I mean, that would make a really catchy chorus, though, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hey, on the flip of that, um, there's blaming both sides. Some new song names. Thought Contagion. Propaganda. JFK. The Globalist, we'll come back to that. Drones, Revolt, Supremacy, United States of Eurasia, MK Ultra, Unnatural Selection, Uprising, Exopolitics, Time is Running Out, Rule by Secrecy, Apocalypse Please. I mean, that is basically a YouTube playlist of QAnon. <laughs> That's an algorithm radicalising you into in, yeah, 15 videos. 
Um, and one of the ones that really jumped out to me was, uh, I'm sure you know, Bab, certainly the, the JFK song from Drones. The JFK. I know, I, genuinely, no, I don't. I'm, oh, I'm waiting for okay. you to tell me about it because so I know fuck was, all about these. After so this was on their, their recent, fairly recent album, Drones, uh, which we'll talk about in the second part of the show. But it is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence... Uh, here's the quote by JFK, which they've chosen to put to music. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covert means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It's a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. Now, that is a JFK quote, but that is a grotesquely decontextualised JFK quote about communism. Not about him confessing to some giant one-world government thing. And and if Matt Bellamy isn't aware of this, despite having read, you know, conspiracist news sources, that that is widely circulated as being one of the reasons that JFK was killed on conspiracy sites because he was trying to go against the one-world government and the globalists, which, by the way, is code for Jews, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. routinely mm-hmm. on right-wing websites. Uh, I think that's in- incredibly tone deaf and naive on on Matt's part, and I, th- I think what it really comes down to, to 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 bring it back to the show is okay. Matt Bellamy is not Tom DeLong. I don't think Matt Bellamy is deranged. I think his thing about getting abducted by UFOs is very tongue in cheek, and I think even though maybe earlier on he may have held sort of earnest beliefs in these kind of things. A lot of us did. I mean, myself included. I, I used to be fascinated by that stuff in my late teens and my early 20s and JFK. It was one of the most mind-blowing experiences when I found out that uh, the JFK film by Oliver Stone was largely just fabricated by Oliver Stone. You know, it wasn't based on the Warren Commission. That was something I was like, how can you just make up something that's not true and turn it into a film? That honestly blew my mind. Um and I think Bellamy's obviously saying a lot of stuff tongue in cheek, but there are there are two other key perspectives in that as I see it, and this will affect my overall appraisal of music. Like, a bit like the Matrix, as I said, and evidenced by Glenn Beck trying to sort of unironically use their songs to soundtrack his own rants. A huge proportion of any audience, especially for a band as big as that, will just not get irony. Like the constant hammering on about things like one world governments and globalists and global conspiracies, especially that toxic term globalists uh, and, and the Jewish connotations, anti Semitic connotations, is like deeply problematic to me in a world where like those notions, especially decontextualized, send people down rabbit holes. And I think the second one is that all the anti capitalist shtick that Muse come out with, uh, is a bit fucking rich because, well, to be blunt, Matt Bellamy is a bit fucking rich. Uh, the guy is valued, I think, at over $40 million personally. Like, who is more of a fucking globalist than a posh guy for Devon who plays arenas in Japan when it, whenever he wants? Like, do, do we think for a minute that Matt Bellamy pays every penny of tax that he's meant to pay? Do you think, you know, 
is he not a representative or a front for Warner Media making them a fortune? You know, Warner Media, who, by the way, merged with AT&T in, in May of this year, I think they've become a corporation that's values estimated at about $150 billion. I mean, Matt Bellamy is part of that. Shut the fuck up, Matt Bellamy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get that they're a rock band, but all of this stuff does matter. What is this band about? What does it represent to people? And ultimately, I just feel like, ironically, if there's any profundity to be found in anything that Muse write, it's that all this stuff about um, false narratives, misdirection, global elites are no better illustrated than by Muse themselves. That they represent all those things and they're selling it back to people. It's a really hard thing for me to disentangle. So for all the that I'm willing to admit that this album in particular is really, really interesting, there is an enormous hurdle and I'm sure you've guessed that I've not cleared that hurdle when it comes to being able to sublimate all of these sort of like distasteful aspects of this band, not just the stupid, arrogant pretentiousness of it and the daft things about UFOs, but the kind of more sinister and slightly malignant side of this kind of like courting these things that 15 years ago, perhaps you could say, okay, we didn't really realise the potential of that, but we certainly do now. Does that affect your perspective on this any, given that we're debating the merits of this? I think that we both agree that we've barely listened to Muse in the past 15 years. <laughs> so most of those albums, we've not, we've, we've not even given time, a time of day to. But what's interesting is that like you're saying from like Drones and uh, Second Law, these songs are from, they're the biggest hits in America. So it's interesting that these songs That's a good point. are yeah. massive in America, more so than they were back when... Origin of Symmetry and Absolution was the albums I love were ever popular. I would defend the argument of the whole Matt, Belly, Matt Bellamy's railing against capitalism where he's a capitalist. Well, isn't every big rock star, are we going to say that to every big rock star? And we don't know if he's avoiding tax, although it wouldn't surprise me, but I, I would hold my judgment there. But on what Muse talk about, I pretty much agree with you, Chris. Uh, but I, I think both Fran and I don't really pay much attention to lyrics, right? <laughs> so when, when I got into Muse... I really wasn't paying attention to lyrics. And I got into Muse at the same time as my mum, who's like my biggest musical influence. She's the one who got me into Muse and Radiohead. And I remember her being like, you know, Muse are a great band, but what the fuck are they singing about? And I think when it comes to Origin of Symmetry, it is kind of vague enough that you can interpret it in so many different ways. I mean, I've I've gone through and interpreted and I'm like, is this about fucking an alien? Is this about robots? <laughs> I don't, I, I have no idea. But it, What song is about fucking an alien? <laughs> plug and baby. Oh my God, that's, yeah. that makes it better. Yeah. That does make it better. I, I, that's I, what I would say. Uh, I think it's definitely true that as Muse went on, it definitely got more explicitly political and explicitly, explicitly cons- conspiratorial, if that's a word. Conspiratorial. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I work in communications. So I should know better. But because I'm a fan of less political Muse, it doesn't really bother me because I just don't, as it on, on, a, on a personal level, it, it might bother me on a, on a societal level, but it doesn't really impact me uh, listening to their music because, you know, he's, he's falsettoing away and uh, I, 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 can, I can disengage with that in a way that actually, yeah, maybe with other bands I, I can't, but because I got into them before drones and uh psycho and whatever like even exopolitics you know it's an apocalypse please you know it's I, f- I feel like it's tangential enough that it doesn't it doesn't bother me too much but oh i like love a guy's music do not want to listen to the guy's opinions 
I mean, he's never been renowned as being one of the world's greatest poets. Mm. People, I don't think, will go to Muse because of the lyrics first. I think it's all about music. And for me, it was all about the music. Like, doing this podcast was the first time I've really given much attention to any of the lyrics in the Origin Symmetry. To me, it was just, you know, nonsense about space dementia. <laughs> I was like, okay, fair enough, mate. <laughs> but nice riff. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually really interesting to bring up Radiohead again though, Babs, because they are a band who maybe to some extent echo some of the sentiments of Muse songs, but their approach to dealing with it and their overall approach to their business in general seems much more tactful and self-aware. Even though Tom York is now going out with a supermodel as well. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we can't begrudge him that. Um, But I think the fact that Radiohead's take on you know, international finance and these kind of things is so nuanced. And there's definitely allegations of hypocrisy that can be levelled at them as well, of course. But they at least approach the subject with a little bit of humility, I think, and a little bit of knowledge. They don't throw these big, clumsy cliches at it and sort of sell them to young teenagers. You don't get the impression that Radiohead market to, to, you know, 14 and 15-year-olds who have just discovered Chomsky and 4chan and Muse unfortunately seem to be really pandering to that audience and it's all very well Matt saying he's a left-leaning libertarian but his lyrics and his his themes as illustrated often run parallel to a lot of the themes of right-leaning libertarians and far worse than right-leaning libertarians that doesn't necessarily work as a get out for me you know I mean Muse just don't seem really interested in addressing that As I said, I'm curious to see how The Matrix, who I really do think are an interesting comparison to Muse, how they, and if they, choose to do a Muse and just sort of paper over all the fucking shit that they unleashed in society uh, with with some of their their storytelling. Um, But, yeah, it's a a hurdle I can't clear with the band. Um, And as one last final gasp to knock you off your, your course... Before we go to the break uh, and the end of part one, Matt Bellamy's a keen scu- scuba diver uh, and claims that uh, on one particular scuba excursion, uh, an instructor tried to kill him by only filling his oxygen tank halfway because he fancied Matt's girlfriend. <laughs> I did not know that story. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that story. I mean, I think if you're as paranoid as he is, it doesn't surprise me. And I think in a way... the hardening of his opinions matches Muse's success, right? So he, you know, if, as Fran, you know, suggests he was a loner in a bedroom, even though, as remember, guys, he played sports and he had girlfriends, um, (laughs) the more famous you are, the more yes men and women you have around you, uh, you you have people challenging you this, and we're in an age where it's so easy, you know, even right-thinking people to be radicalised. Like, only today I saw this very interesting video about how if you engage with transphobic content on TikTok, basically within two hours, you're in fascist TikTok because of of the interaction. Like it's easy for all of us to kind of form these more extreme opinions. So it doesn't surprise me that he's become like that as he becomes more and more privileged and more and more detached from, you know, the young guys getting drunk in Tainmouth. So uh, yeah, it's it's sad, but um, I don't know. I think because I've been so detached, like, you know, I, I used to read everything. I used to have 
you know, I, I did this for Radiohead as well, collages of them on my on my bedroom wall. Uh, the fall was really hard, you know, from Grace. I, just, I felt very betrayed. So, yeah, I think I've, I've already handled so much betrayal. I can't, you know, I, my brain can't <laughs> handle also thinking about like the... <laughs> <laughs> the ramifications of news radicalizing the world but uh see, yeah see what you're saying about tiktok that's that's really interesting because mm. that is the, the that is the effect of the algorithm and that's mm. well documented on facebook it's even it's even more well documented on youtube by the way i think you know youtube steers you to the right and steers you to the far right and that's not because the the the, the algorithm is a malign thing it's because it's profit driven and it's click driven you know it's but it, it's but it is a malign driven. thing as well because it's not neutral you know, it's like well, the yeah. the, al- the the algorithm is neutral. This is the thing. No, the it's algorithm just, is no, just it's not. it's it's really not. Like, it's, oh it's no, not. no. See, we're going to disagree here. The algorithm is neutral. The algorithm is a non-sentient thing. The algorithm is what it's doing is reflecting back human it, it precisely. So it's not neutral yeah, because yeah. humans aren't neutral. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, humans a, aren't neutral. The algorithm a, is. There's a, no, there's a deeper thing behind that, and it was in the book I read, which weapons of math destruction is that the algorithm reflects its creator. You know, yeah, yeah, that's why it, it will it will go racist and sexist in no time because, because like, unfortunately yeah, that's the human experience. But that's because that generates the most interaction. Yeah, so yeah. algorithms oh. are click driven, and and click driven means effectively money driven because it's so. And certainly in the terms of YouTube, it's it's run by advertisers. You know, the clicks equate to dollars. And I think one of the things that I'm noticing we we muse, and I don't mean to get too Nick Bostrom about it, but maybe muse are just a simulation and an algorithm because they seem to be a band, as you say, whose opinions have hardened along with their success but what that could also be seen as is their opinions have gravitated towards the thing that leads to the most clicks the most interactions the most dollars and so the more muse talk about this fucking mumbo jumbo this sci-fi conspiratorial globalist garbage the more money they get the more rewarded they get and so a bit like an algorithm without implying any malign intent on matt bellamy's part between him the bandmates their management their label the entire pr superstructure that exists around that band the whole thing is slowly drifting towards where the money is and that seems to be you know like the youtube thing there's no there's no intent to go in a sinister direction there there's no there's nobody sitting there going i'm a neo-nazi and i really want to use this to try and get more neo-nazis made it's simply that human nature the fascination with the macabre and the dark and the fact that the right wing are more engaged online seems to draw people that way and you know as i said i mean i'm not i'm not holding myself above that um when i was young I was very fascinated by some of this stuff as well. I was very fascinated by conspiracy theories and that. And it does generate money. It simply does. So do you think that David Like will be supporting them on the next tour? Or By the way. Are we going that direction? <laughs> the only problem is they wouldn't be able to announce the venue because David Ike's <laughs> new tactic is that he says he's playing a city, but you can only tell his audience the day of the show so that people don't turn up and try and shut the concert down. I feel slightly for the other members, like uh, Dom and Chris ask, on board. Yeah, or, where are they on are this? Are they just yeah. going along for the ride, thinking, "Okay, Matt, yeah, you say that. We're just uh, getting the money and play bass and drums." That, that is interesting, though, right? I mean, it is like, okay, they're getting well paid, but uh, are they never like, "Wait a minute, what did you just say?" <laughs> you know, did they never, wait, wait a minute, run that? What, what was that lyric again? But here's another thing: apparently, Matt Bellamy doesn't allow any of his band members to be in the studio when he's doing his vocals. He, he only he won't allow anyone even in his own band since the very very start of the band he will not allow them to hear the dry the naked audio take uh, vocal takes he he only lets them hear it 
after they're recorded, after they're comped, and after they're processed. And then the band can hear the vocal. He doesn't like them hearing it raw. That's interesting um, because I think he he's someone... I'm, I'm trying to think who else is like this. Maybe PJ Harvey, you know, we were talking about her earlier, who is simultaneously strong but fragile because he, he can go so high and said, I guess to get into that mind frame, he must need to be alone. Um, so yeah. that makes sense yeah, to, to me To go out on a limb, I agree, I think it makes sense as well To go out on a limb like that, to take a chance with your vocal And risk looking stupid Nine takes out of ten Yeah, I, I, I can get that But maybe the band, the other members of the band Aren't actually that aware But you'd think by this point Enough concerns have been raised <laughs> I mean, they're friends <laughs> from school, right? So it's just like, oh Matt, he's always, it might be like Yeah, he's always, he's always had his opinions And yeah, they're happy to be passive about it I don't, I don't yeah, know we are, we all have that anti-vaxxer friend that we just can't quite delete. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that is a good point. Especially what, what, if he's made us all millionaires. <laughs> yeah, what is uh, his his uh, vaccination mm-hmm. views? Is he going down the line of Ian Brown and Richard Ashcroft? It'd be interesting to see when they're tall next. Eric Clapton and Van Morrison, maybe. maybe uh, maybe uh, yeah. out, uh, an anti-vax single. Yeah, <laughs> um, for, for but me, for me, if it comes back, the the lyrics thing comes back to probably the ideas that they're all. Even though they are sort of vaguely anti-authority, they're so fucking they are so deliberately vague. I think because they can appeal to anybody. You know, I don't think there's a malign intent when he's writing that kind of shit. Otherwise, band members would probably say something to him because they would be hearing a lot of that shit in practice before he even gets to the recording studio. You know what I mean? And picking up bits of it as we all do when we're in bands. You know what I mean? Hear uh, uh, all people and saying. As, as- um, and as we all know, bands are a very self-policing uh, setup. You know, there's there's very few musicians get away with bad behaviour. I was going to say, their band I, was, I was like, I don't, I don't trust in other members. Everyone's like, oh, just let him be. Let let but, me play my my lovely bassline. Remember that time all the members of Lost Profits and Brand New intervened. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They <laughs> saw nothing. They saw nothing. Uh, I, can't look I think I think it's just it's so. I think that the message that becomes attached to the lyrics is obviously in the eye of the people that, that, that are listening to it um, because I think they're just so hollow and vacuous for the most part. You know, I don't know if he's taking it completely seriously, but sure as shit his fans are. You know what I mean? Well, who are Muse fans these days? Because obviously, you know, I, I don't know any teenagers who listen to Muse. I assume that they're mostly in their 30s, aren't well, they? The, they've gone along with the ride. Yeah, the streaming stats on their new stuff doesn't suggest that there's as many as there used to be either, so it will be interesting to try and get to the root of that. That's maybe something we should discuss in the next episode then, because we're going to go through the back catalogue, we're obviously going to talk about um, Origin of Symmetry, we're going to have a, have a spin at the Nexus. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to get our teeth into. I just wanted to spend most of this one trying my damnedest to pull the rug out from under you. So. <laughs> but, but like I said, you know, you haven't, because what I think about Muse musically mm. is very different to what I think about them slightly so Absolutely. i think the yeah. next one might be a bit more contentious <laughs> did you assume that we're big muse fans all the way chris i was simply curious to meet learned uh thoughtful introspective folks who are still willing to go out on a limb for this band <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not gonna tear down my muse posters off i never had any <laughs> I had <laughs> get them out of belly my tattoo lasered off after this um, <laughs> So, yeah, thank you very much for uh, for joining us this week. Join us next week as uh, we talk about the band's back catalogue, which I'm sure will be a lot of fun. And, of course, the Origin of Symmetry itself. And then, of course, the Nexus. It's going to be great.